Last week was youth hunting in Illinois for deer. So I have permission to share this story. Uh, I talked to my daughter ahead of time, got a little bit of permission. We went out last weekend. Anybody 16 and under uh, is allowed to go out last week, October 10th and 11th, and shoot uh, to go hunting for uh, a doe or a buck. It's actually either sex now. So uh, we went out last weekend. You know, the idea is you'd get the youth out in a, in a time where they can enjoy the hunting more. And so like you choose a kind of an early to mid-October when it's more in the 60s and you know what I'm talking about? Now remember last weekend. So we're out there and it's like 25 degrees. We're up north, northwest Illinois. It's 25 degrees. Wind chills were down to about 15. It was snowing for about two hours straight up there where we were at. We had a whiteout. I mean, it was just nonstop snow coming down. The ground was warm enough that it just melted fast, but it was pouring. Snow was just coming down everywhere, okay? Wind is whipping, 15 degree feel with the wind chill. And we're sitting there. I had bought Megan, uh, a significant amount of warm clothing, knowing that deer season was coming. So luckily we brought that along and she was dressed up well. She looks at me at one point, we've been there about two hours, and she's like, is this it? Like, is this deer hunting? You know, so we just kind of sit and uh, like, nah, it gets a little better, but yeah, this is kind of it, you know? So we kind of hang out for a little bit longer and uh, we ended up that whole morning seeing nothing. Saw some cattle, that was exciting. Saw nothing. So we ended up uh, going out for lunch, and uh, as we came back, the clouds had cleared. It was like 48 degrees, beautiful sunshine, and uh, we were debating about going home because they were talking about rain, and I said to Meg, hey, with, with this weather, we got to go back out. So we got dressed up again, and we went out uh, to the spot where we were overlooking a field and sitting up on a rock cliff, and there was this deer trail running behind us and a, uh, kind of an old road uh, up uh, behind us on the other side, and it was really this gorgeous setting. And we sat there all afternoon and we were able to whisper with each other and chat a little bit back and forth and watch the squirrels jumping around and see them barking and chattering along. And, and, um, and we saw nothing, absolutely nothing. So we're sitting there and it gets close to, what was about five to six. And all of a sudden behind us, the blue jays started squawking up on the top of the hill. And the blue jays were going like crazy and they're moving out towards the point. And so for those of you who are hunting, you're like, oh, that's cool. And for those of you who aren't, you're like, so, so what? You're not hunting blue jays. What does that matter? Blue jays end up squawking anytime something big is moving through, either a deer or a cow or a human. So there's something moving through rather large and the blue jays aren't liking it. They're going off like crazy up there and it's getting closer to the edge of the point. And I said to her, you might, might want to get that gun up, you know, get the butt of the gun up to your shoulder because you never know what's going to come off of there. So she kind of edges the gun up there and she's looking back up and I'm looking back up and she whispered something to me. I can't remember what it was, something about the safety or whatever, you know, do I need to turn it off? I can't remember what it was. And I turned to answer her and as I looked, I saw an ear flick behind her and I looked past her and there's a doe right there. And I said, turn your safety off. <laughs> she goes, really? So she clicks it off. And she eases around, and there is a doe standing broadside at 10 yards. And Megan eases the gun up nice and slow. I mean, it was like she was a pro. Gets it up nice and slow. And she sat there for about a minute. It felt like an hour. <laughs> and I'm sitting behind her going, shoot. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And it was in that moment, she leans back and she goes, I can't see past the log. 
I'm like, you're kidding me. There's this deadfall sitting, a big high deadfall, and the doe's right behind it. And I've got this perfect broadside shot. I could have chucked something at it, you know? And she's sitting there. I go, lean right. So she leans out and lifts it up again, and she sits there for a bit. And then she squeezes off. And I don't know what happened, if it went over or in front, but somehow it, it missed, and the doe turned and bolted off. Um, and she turns to me, and she says, Wow! I never knew it could be so exciting. You, you, you've told me about all the excitement and the nerves, and we've been out squirrel hunting, and we've been target practicing, and I never felt it before, and I just thought you were weird. And I never felt, I mean, Wow! So I got up and I went over and I checked around to see if she had hit her or anything and there was absolutely nothing. And came back and, we're, and she started talking and chattering for the next seven hours. <laughs> so as we're driving home and she's going off on it and talking about it, it, the cool part about it was, you know, nine hours of hunting, 30 seconds of seeing a deer and the emotions that came with that moment. It was a great experience for us as a father and daughter to just kick back and enjoy the day, to talk, to learn, and for her to experience the first time of an adrenaline rush of deer hunting. So we're going back in November. She's ready to go now. Here's the thing. When we don't know what it is we're supposed to be experiencing, or when we've heard about it, but we've never experienced it ourselves, we quite often say, I don't know. I'm not sure how real that is. We dismiss things very quickly when our own personal experiences haven't been there and felt that. And just like Megan saying, I'm not sure about this excitement thing. Maybe you're just weird until she'd felt it. The question we're looking at today is this. Can we really experience, I mean really experience, joy in him? Like a rejoicing that blows us away? Is that real? Or are they just weird? Like, is that for real? That we can experience something so deep and so satisfying that it rocks our world that rejoicing, this deep inside, deep excitement about who Jesus Christ is and what he's doing for us. You know, as we look today at this passage, we are simply answering this question. How can I go about experiencing and rejoicing in who he is? How can I begin to make that real in my life? We're in the midst of a sermon series called Satisfaction Guaranteed. And Jesus Christ promised it was absolutely essential as he talked to the disciples. You must understand there will be rejoicing in your heart. You will be rocked. It will touch you way deep inside and it will last for all eternity. How do I go about getting that? How does that work? That's what we're going to look at today. John chapter 16 verses 16 through 24. You know, the ushers are going to be coming forward and they've got Bibles in their hands. We'd love to get one to you if you don't have one. We're just going to be walking verse by verse through this. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand and they'll get a Bible to you, okay? Just raise your hand and they'll get one to you. John 16, 16 through 24. Are you ready to embrace rejoicing? That's the question. Jesus said, first, how do we go about doing it? Number one, my heart will rejoice when I find life in Jesus Christ. When I find life in Jesus, my heart will rejoice when I find life in Jesus. That's the first point and the first step. So let's just walk through this. It's kind of a large segment. There's a couple pieces to it, but we're going to get it out of there. We'll start at verse 16. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, 
a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. The disciples were a bit confused. Now, this is the same question they were asking in the prior passage that we were looking at. Is really, what is going on with this little while thing? What's happening? And as we walk through this, we're going to understand a little bit more. But first thing we need to understand is this phrase was typically used for a very short period of time. Kind of sounds that way, right? A little while. So it doesn't mean metaphorically a little. It's not, it typically means hours. And in this case, we know that Christ is saying, in a little while, I'm not going to be with you any longer. And it was really about three to four hours, probably. He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're on their way to that place now. And within a few hours, he's going to be at the garden praying. His disciples are falling asleep. Nobody's paying attention. And he ends up getting taken by the guards. And everything begins to ensue. Jesus being taken from them. You will no longer see me. He's basically saying, heads up, guys. In the next few hours, we're beginning to experience some pain. Get ready. Here we go. A little while, and I will no longer be with you. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Now, remember, we talked about this last week a little bit. And uh, I was reading something by John MacArthur this past week. He said, you know, it could mean, you could say this kind of from the context. You could say, well, it means in a little while I won't be with you. You know, like I'm going to be taken away and then I'm going to end up going through the the, uh, crucifixion and I'm separated from you. Could mean that. And then a little while after that, I'll return. You know, like in several thousand years for the second coming. Now, is that actually comfortable? Is that a comforting statement? Hey, just so you know, in like two hours, I'm going to be taken from you, but don't worry, I'll be back in 2,000 years. Like, is that really the most comforting statement possible? Probably not. And then on top of it, the same phrase, a little while is used. A phrase that typically means hours or days, a short period of time. This is probably speaking most directly to what's going to happen right around that cross. In a few moments, I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be crucified. And you will be devastated. But in a little while after that, oh, the joy is coming. Hang on. There's a moment of pain, but there's good stuff coming. He's beginning to prepare his disciples. Even in the midst of his own pain coming, he's preparing them. Now, if you notice, the disciples are talking, just a little keynote here. In verse 17, they, it says, some of his disciples said, you hear that said? It's like a past tense. It's done. You do it once. Said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while. And then they kind of walk through that. Verse 18, though, it says, so they were saying. Can you kind of hear it? It's got this sort of, it's ongoing. So they basically started with a question. And then it continued with a nonstop chatter on this little while thing. What is that all about? What's he saying by it? And so they're kind of sitting there talking amongst themselves because they don't want to look like doofuses in front of him. So as he says, you know, a teaching, like in a little while, these are the things that are going to happen. They go over here and like, a little while? What's a little while going to mean? What do we do with that? How do you handle a little while? Is a little while what? 
a little while. What, what is he talking about? And what is this because he's going to the father thing? He just said that a little bit ago. We see that in John chapter 16, verse 10. Like, what, what is this because I'm going to the father thing? What's he saying? I'm totally confused by what he's trying to tell us. Do you get it? And then it's going around the horn and everybody's like, I don't get it. So Jesus steps in, probably because he's partially perceptive and he partially just has ears and he can hear. And he steps in in verse 19. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Verse 20, truly, truly. Okay, how many times have you heard Jesus use the phrase truly, truly and there really wasn't much importance coming after it? Like never. So Jesus is saying, get ready, get ready. Fact, fact. Truth, truth. Something you need to know, something you need to know, okay? Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 20, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. Wow, those are, those are really uplifting terms. <laughs> what are you telling us, Jesus? He's saying, look, you don't grasp what's coming. But we, as we look back at this moment, can grasp it. And we can see what Jesus was trying to say to him. He's saying, look, you need to understand, guys, at this moment, the weight of the entire world's sin from eternity past to eternity future is going to sit upon me. You need to understand that in the next moment of time, you have a physical hope, a hope that Israel will be restored, a hope that I might be the Messiah. But your hope in a Messiah is actually all about the physical world and physical kingship. I've got news for you. It's way bigger. And in the next moment of time, as I am paying the payment, as I am on that cross, as your, your hopes are being dashed, guess what? You will lament. You will be sorrowful. You will be hurting. You will be pulling away and running from me. This thing we're going after, you're going to be quitting on it. You are about done with what we're doing. You're going to lament. In a few hours, it's coming. The world? Oh, they're going to be celebrating. The world? Oh, they're the ones who don't even get who I am. They're the ones who are so passionate about being against who I am that they're actually going to be celebrating and having what would be called a momentary moment, a point of joy. They're going to be sitting in this spot of, hallelujah, we got what we wanted. But guess what? It's short-lived. Guess what? Oh, it's temporary. It's going to be resolved. Things are going to be flipped and reversed. I'm telling you that there will be a turn. And then he says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. Your sorrow is going to turn to joy. And the world's joy is going to turn to complete confusion and sorrow. You are going to grasp onto the true joy. You are going to grasp onto the true hope. You are going to grasp onto what I'm really here about. But hang on, you're going to need to go through a short season of pain, of lament, of sorrow. That's what Jesus was saying to him. Now he goes a step further, verse 21. He says, let's think of an analogy. Here's a good analogy. Uh, childbirth. 
when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. A pain that tends to be forgotten because of the joy. I'm not speaking to this firsthand. So I'm trusting Jesus and my wife on this, okay? I will tell you that when we had our youngest daughter, Alyssa, she was, um, she came quickly. Let's just put it that way. And the doctors weren't quite expecting it. And we weren't expecting it. And so basically we told my dad, hey, can you run home and grab the video camera? It was only like two miles, three miles from the, uh, from the hospital. So he turned and ran home to get it. And in the meantime, like we're having Alyssa, you know what I mean? And so he gets back and he opens the door to this really nice room. It was a great room where we were at. And he opens the door. And as he's stepping in, one of those absolute blood curdling battle cry kind of screams comes out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the absolute give you shivers kind of a, it only took two or three of those. And we had Alyssa, but as he's stepping in, he hears one of those. And so he just kind of, all you see is an arm reach in and set down the camera and he goes out and closes the door. You know what I mean? It's one of those like, maybe it's not appropriate that I'm there. Like, I'm out of here. Gets to the hallway, right? We ended up having Alyssa in three pushes or whatever it was. John and Nazar had affirmatively yes. Pain that comes and yet it's quickly set aside for the joy of having a child. A joy of the growth and the life and the hope and the positive elements going on. He's saying, that's what it's going to be like, guys. This moment, it's going to hurt. But there's something good coming. You just hang on. Well, what's the good that's coming? He says, verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. I will see you. And your hearts will rejoice. No one will take your joy from you. He's saying, I want you to understand this, that joy, it's based on the presence of the Almighty in your life. I I want you to understand this, that joy, it's a joy that's based on God at work in you, God present with you. It's a joy based on the Almighty with you. That joy, it's going to be restored. I may have been pulled away for a couple of days. I had a kind of a big task to handle, but I'm back and boy, am I back. I'm not just back going, yeah, I wasn't able to do much. I'm back having conquered sin, having conquered death, having risen from the dead, having given hope to all mankind for all of eternity. Joy is at hand. He's saying, get ready. There's some serious celebrating coming. That's the message he was giving them. Jesus worth celebrating. You know, as I was looking at this this past week, One of the things that kind of came up back in John chapter 14 in my studies, uh, Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit coming. And he said, I will give you another helper. That word another, you can actually choose two different Greek words there. It can be another of the same kind or another of a different kind. And what he said was, I will bring you another of the same kind. He's saying, I want you to understand that God the Son has been with you. And God, the spirit will be with you. I want you to understand that God is with you. The almighty is right here with you. That I, as God, the son, have been teaching and training and shaping and helping. And God, the Holy Spirit will do the same. You have God with you. 
You have God at work in you. You have God at work through you. You have the Almighty helping you see the directions and the paths and where this is going. God at work. Now that is going to be what's worth celebrating. Get prepared. The rejoicing is about to come. Just a few days. Hang on. The neat part about this is as you and I look at this, historically, we read this and we grasp what they're going through. But they were told about a pain coming, a pain that would last a short period of time and then the fix. But as we look back into this, that's not there for us. That was them going through that moment of three days. We're not going through that time where we thought that he was the Messiah, the physical handling solution, but now he's turned out not. And so he's crucified and we're being pushed away and we're, we're not going through that. We have a moment to step into the joy with him right now. And the only pain that comes our way is us walking away from him. It's us saying, I'm just going to do my thing and go my way. It's us saying, you know what? I'm pretty much going to make this about me pursuing my own joy. And let's see how that works out first. That's the pain we bring to ourselves. It's a nice privilege that in this moment, the lamenting message was a lamenting to them. The joy message is a message for all. Now that's a hope. As I looked at this, you know, one last piece here that he points out, he says, no one will take this joy from you. This joy is a joy that gets placed. This joy is a joy that gets purposed and bound up in who Jesus is and it lasts for all eternity. It is yours to have. It is yours to keep. It is yours to celebrate and it never gets taken from you. Never. This joy, this celebration, this rejoicing, it is there permanently from eternity past to eternity future. It's available, but in our God, when we grasp, we have it as our own from then on yours forever. This joy is not to be removed. This joy is not touchable or changeable. It is simply present. Question, how do we experience that joy? How do I go about experiencing this rejoicing? Like I appreciate that God's got a plan and I appreciate that I can celebrate him, but I'm not quite sure I understand what this rejoicing looks like. I sat down this week as I was praying through things and, and reading the scripture and I thought, you know, we better make real sure we understand what rejoicing is and what it isn't. Let's make sure we understand what's been promised to us. So five things that rejoicing is. These are really important to write down. Okay. How do I rejoice? First, value him. Value him. In other words, explore the depths of who he is. Find out the truth of who he is in scripture. Pour over all the character traits and what he wants and what he thinks and how he acts and what he believes. Pour over it and simply say, I want to know you. You are valuable. You're worth knowing. I want to know your character. I want to know your thoughts. I want to know your wants and your desires and your actions. You are important to me. I value who you are, Lord. That's the first step in rejoicing. There is no rejoicing if we don't place value in them. Second, what you value, you praise. Praise him. Have you ever noticed that? Like something that you really are excited about, something you really think is important in your life, 
you start talking a lot about it. You get really excited about it. You share about it with other people. You simply are excited that it's a part of your life. What you value, you praise. What you value, you praise. Or in this case, who you value, you praise. Praise him. A couple of great verses on this. Psalm 30, uh, 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then praising him. Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2. It says, shout joyfully to the Lord. Make his praise glorious. How awesome are your works, O Lord. Praise him. Raise up thanks to him. Lift up statements of what he's doing in your life. Simply say, I'm blown away with how great you are, God. You at work in my life? You're kidding me. I am so amazed with who you are. Thank you for being a God who is ever with me. A God who ever cares. A God who is known as love. A God who reaches out and touches and changes. A God who is all present in all places at all times. Who can do all things. Who knows all things. Thank you for being you. I value you and I praise you. I lift you up. Those are two great steps to rejoicing. And we got three more. Value him and praise him. Mirror him. You know, look like him. When someone looks at you, they see who he is. You begin to adopt his thoughts, his actions, his character, his priorities. You echo his character. Simply put, love God and love others. God is love. If we're really echoing who he is, we're reaching out and loving others. You want to rejoice in him? Love God and love others. That's a great step in mirroring him. So we start with valuing him, then we praise him, we mirror him, honor him or serve him, whatever you want to put for that, honor or serve. You know, Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. It's about going out and saying, I'm giving you the whole of who I am, your will, your ways, what you are trying to accomplish, I want to make sure happens. How can I make sure that you are lifted up and that what you want done gets done? May I be a part of that. May I simply not be in your way but helping you accomplish what you want to accomplish. You want to rejoice in him? Become very useful to him. Honor him and serve him. And last is glorify him. Show him off. Lift his name up. Tell others about him. Make sure that he is shown off. If you want to rejoice in him, it's simply this. Value who he is. Praise him for it. Put that on your lips. Let it begin to affect your very character by mirroring him. And then may it affect your hands and your feet by serving him. And then may it affect who you talk to and what you say as you begin to show him off. Rejoicing in him. It's a plan that can make you utterly and perfectly satisfied. Two John Piper quotes that I found this week. First one. The pursuit of God's glory and my joy are not two separate pursuits, but rather one. Think about that for a second. The pursuit of God's glory and my joy, that's not two separate pursuits. That's one. One and the same. And another quote, same kind of point. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. He really does want you to be excited about who he is to be passionate about who he is, to love who he is, and to be satisfied in him. And as you're satisfied in him, and as you see him working in your life, you begin to lift up praise to him 
and show him off and glorify him. And that's what the whole plan is about. It's not a plan of heavy handedness where you feel kind of pushed around and you're doing things you don't want to do and you're being mandated and manipulated and we're missing it. It's actually about as we do for him and as we lift him up and show him off, we gain that joy that is so talked about. We gain that satisfaction and that rejoicing that's so talked about. Rejoicing in him. It's an opportunity and a privilege. You know, in the midst of this life with Christ and rejoicing in Christ, we talked about it last week and I want to make sure we make it clear today. What does that mean? How does that start? How does it happen? We serve a God who simply is this, perfect. He is perfect. And as he does and does perfectly, he asks of us that we just do how he's designed us, to be perfect. Uh Uh-oh. So when we come up short and don't do that, he says one thing. There is a payment for that. Eternal separation for me. I need that which is perfect in my presence. But if that's all God was, was righteous and holy and other, and he separated from us as soon as we made a mistake, there's no hope in that. The beauty of his plan is that he's more. He's loving and he's gracious and he's merciful. And he makes a replacement payment available for you and for me. And he says, I don't want to just demand perfection and walk away. When you come up short, I want to offer forgiveness. I want you to use my shed blood on the cross as a replacement payment for what you owe. I want you to come into relationship with me based on forgiveness and my blood shed for you. We serve a God who is righteous and loving. We serve a God who reaches into the depths of our soul and offers total forgiveness. Now that's a plan. That's a plan for life and righteousness. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. Let's just bow our heads and close our eyes right in the middle of this message here. And let's just take a moment. You might have never committed your life to him before in your life, ever. You're like, I don't know what this even means. Do me a favor. I'm going to just basically say a short prayer. Just repeat it after me. This, this prayer is simply saying, Lord, I want to commit to you. I want to get to know you. I want to be blown away by you. I want this joy that's promised in your passages of scripture. I want to know you. And I want to know you on your terms. Lord, please forgive me of my sin. That's all we're saying. So here's a prayer. Just repeat this after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that you're perfect. And I'm not. Please forgive me for what I've done wrong, for my sin. I know that I owe eternal separation from you. Please use your shed blood to replace my payment. Lord, cleanse me and make me brand new. I want you to be my God and my Lord, forgiven by your shed blood. Please forgive me. May I run hard after following you. Amen. You know, you might have just prayed that prayer. If you did, please come talk to me afterwards. We've got an information table out back. We've got some information like, so what do I do next? 
What's the next step? Grab one of those. There's some great information in it. This is a moment for you to establish life with Christ. Let's just take one more moment, though. For all of us who have already committed ourselves to following him, but we're still reaching out for this rejoicing. Let's just take one more moment in prayer. Our heads still bowed, our eyes still closed. What are you going to go after in rejoicing in him? Is it valuing him? Maybe you need to spend time in the word or time just mulling over who he is and how awesome he is. Is it praising him or mirroring him, looking more like him in your character? Serving him with your hands and your feet, your lips? Showing him off and glorifying him? Lift him up. What is it you're going to go after to make sure that he is glorified and you are rejoicing? Just take a moment to promise him that, to work with him on that. Father, may we all just come on our knees, falling on our face before you, seeing you as who you are and glorifying you. May we value you. May we praise you. May we mirror you. May we continue to serve and honor you. Lord, may we lift you up and glorify you. May you be praised in each of our lives. Amen. First step. You want to know how to rejoice? It starts with life in him. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't start with some words on my lips. I just prayed a prayer and I'm done forever. It starts with life in him. I mean hope. I mean future. I mean promise. I mean change. I mean permanent, nonstop, change me forever life in him. Rejoice in him with all you've got. There is no better way to go. And then he gives us one other step. He says, please, my heart will rejoice when. These are the, the second thing that we get uh, rejoicing heart with. I ask in Jesus' name and receive. I ask in Jesus' name and receive. Like this is the third time he's mentioned prayer and joy. Why? How does this thing work? I don't know if I even understand. So I ask, I receive joy. Boom. That's how it goes. How does that? Why? Well, let's walk through a little bit of what he says here and let's try to touch on that. He says in verse 23, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. In that day? What day? You know, the day where I've talked about where I am going to be coming back to see you. And then after that, I'm bringing the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit's going to be with you. And I'm going to be gone to the Father. In that day, you're going to ask nothing of me. Oh. Okay, then what are we doing? Yeah, glad you asked. So, truly, truly. Uh-oh. Jesus is teaching again, right? Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Ask the Father in Jesus' name. And the Father will give it to you. So that's it. We just say, I want X. Please give it to me. Oh, yeah, in Jesus' name. Little magic mantra. Make sure you got the little, you know, the comma. In Jesus' name, period. And then boom, it comes, right? So I would like a million dollars cash right here so I can spend it however I want. Oh, yeah, in Jesus' name. Well, why didn't it work? Is this not real? Is it a joke? What did he mean? Maybe he didn't mean just to pen three letters or three words after the end of whatever prayer we pray. 
Maybe what he meant more was, it's in my will, in accordance with who I am, in the purposes that I'm headed after, in understanding my ways and my character and my passions and what I'm trying to accomplish. As you grasp who I am, as you grasp where I'm going, as you grasp what I'm saying, in Jesus' name, pray the prayer and you'll get whatever you're asking. You see, he's saying, don't just use prayer as some way of kicking down doors and demanding that you continue to demand until you finally get your way. And whew, once I get my way, I'm joyful. That's not a teaching of ultimate selfishness brings joy. Okay. But unfortunately, the church has taught that in many regards about prayer. What it really is, is get in alignment with the almighty. Know who he is. Have a passion for where he's going. Understand what he's saying to you and simply grasp as you abide with him and go, wow. Now I grasp what Jesus is saying and I grasp where he's moving. I want a life with him. And Lord, may you move in me. I'm sensing that you're going this direction. God, could you please provide this? Could you please work in this way? It's a very specific prayer after abiding with him that gives us a direction and a way to pray. That's what it's about. Prayer. Being answered as we ask in his name. He says at the end, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. How? Why does that work? Have you ever been in a moment where you've been in deep need and you've been praying persistently that you understand God's way and his will and which way he's headed. And in the midst of that prayer, he actually provides a direct answer. And you go, wow, God is moving. He cares. He's involved in my life. Real joy comes as you recognize that a real God is really at work in your world. We serve a God who is right here with us and he answers prayer and it brings great joy you know i was reading a story in a dl moody book this last week just kind of looking for an example here awesome little story there's a mother of two daughters herself and her two daughters they lived in new england uh, in the 1800s and um, they were in their house they were several miles away from any other house and there was a huge blizzard that hit I mean, big and massive. And they were beginning to run short on wood and flour. They were running out. It was getting hard to continue to make things to eat and keep it warm in the house. And they began to pray directly. Now, the two daughters didn't really believe that there was a God or that Jesus really existed or that he cared to answer prayer. And the mom was praying profusely. And as she pray prayed, you know how God kind of does things where he says, I will answer, but I will answer in my time, in due time, in time that makes you kind of want to pull your hair out time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like he brings us to our wits end where we're not seeing an answer and then he brings an answer. So three days later, when they're just about out of everything, a man a couple miles away is at his house and he's before a great fire and he's just eaten and he's praying and he's just continuing to reminisce on who God is. And it's impressed upon him that there's a need a couple miles away. And he stands up and he looks at his daughter and he says, get some wood and some flour. We need to bring some things to a local neighbor. 
And so they packed a huge amount of wood and flour on this cart and they took an oxen and they went, it took them about three hours going through, it was like a mile and a half. It took them about three hours in this blizzard to get through. And when they got to the house and he came up and he knocked on the door, can you imagine the feelings inside? As the three are sitting there quietly, wondering what's going to happen and not knowing we're sure which way things are going to go, boom, boom, boom. And the mom gets up and goes to answer the door. And as she opens the door, the man says, God has impressed it upon me that you need some wood and some flour. She said, well, God is impressed correctly. <laughs> we are in need. And he began to bring in load after load of wood and flour. To the point where the mom finally looked at the daughters and said, stand up. God has provided enough. Let's start carrying the wood in. Okay. And so everybody starts bringing it in. They get it all stacked up. They're able to make food. She's able to sit down with them afterwards and have a little chat about a God who answers prayer. We serve a God who gets involved in our lives. We serve a God who cares about each and every one of us. We serve a God who actually wants to answer the needs that you have. As you abide in him, not a reward for abiding in him, but as you abide, you know how to ask and what to ask. And he moves mightily. Are you ready to have your world rocked? Are you ready to experience a joy that you could have never imagined because prayer is being answered like you could have never expected? It's time to be praying. It's time to be on our knees before the almighty rejoicing and celebrating in who he is. It's time to simply say, God, I know you are active and I know you are powerful. I want to meet you in a life of prayer. Three quick things of how you might want to pray. Just real quickly. You might want to pray, keeping this in mind, submissively. Abide in him. It's about his will. It's about what he wants to have accomplished. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in them. Abide in him. Submissive. Number two, scriptural. If you're praying according to the scripture, you're praying according to what he wants done. Pray scripturally. And number three, specifically. The more we pray generalities, the less we can know if he even was there and moving. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's not about him not being there. It's about we just can't sense it. God, do something. May you move in this person's life. And then something happens. So I guess God did something, right? How about we pray more specifically? Wood and flower, God. That would be great. Boom, boom, boom. Wooden flower is here. A moment where God is sensed. Pray specifically. We have a chance to have a rejoicing, a joy that can fill us from the bottom of our soul. It starts with life in Christ and it ends with a continuing life in Christ, a daily life in him as we pray to him. We serve a God who is unbelievable. He is the creator of the universe. He spoke and he came into existence. He is from eternity past to eternity future. He exists without any help from anybody else, purely existing by himself. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is able to move in your life in ways unimaginable. And he can be everywhere at once, right here with you and right here with me. 
A God who is known as love, who reaches out with all he's got to touch and shape our lives, not because he has to, just because he wants to. He loves you with all he's got. We serve a God who is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. We serve a God who is great and greater than any other being known. We serve a God who speaks and things come into existence, who sustains and provides, Colossians chapter 1. We serve a God who in the midst of our need came down to this earth and said, for you, it gets all laid out. I go to the cross for you because I love you. We serve a God who has provided richly and deeply and permanently that a joy that is given to us that can never be taken away. Now that's a God worth serving. Amen. That's a God worth rejoicing in. Amen. We serve a God who is mighty and great and he is awesome and he is worth knowing and praising and rejoicing in. That is our choice to rejoice in the one who is so worth it. That's the call for today. Are you ready to rejoice in him? Are you ready to say how great you are, O oh God? I am amazed and blown away. That's where we're moving. Let's pray.